Hey everybody, welcome to Gold Sounds. I'm your host, Javier Romero, and this is episode number 13. And uh, today's guest is the incredible Mr. Raven Chacon. Uh, Raven is a musician, a composer, a teacher, an artist. Um, You might know him from the collective he is a part of, Post Commodity. Uh, He has his own record label, 666 Distro. Um, He has a a number of really incredible uh, experimental music albums. He's part of the band Tenderizer. Uh, He recently um, collaborated with John Dietrich from the band Deerhoof. Uh, He's a really amazing and prolific person uh, and just an incredible mind. I was so happy to have the chance to chat with him. And uh, I hope you guys enjoy it as much as uh, I did. <laughs> and uh, yeah, thanks for listening. Um, so you're gonna you're you're doing this archive class in uh, in Colorado. Yeah. And it's all it's all it's a it's a survey of New Mexico music. Yeah, I think we'll look at certain types of of music uh-huh. that was being made. Uh, you know, 100 years ago, 200 years ago, possibly, and um, just kind of analyze this music and, and look at what was being said, what these songs were about. And um, I'm co-teaching it with a, um, a musicologist and a woman who specializes in old Spanish. So oh, wow. we'll decode, you know, some of these songs and maybe maybe there'll be an opportunity to to maybe make some kind of project from these songs or maybe even compose uh, songs that are influenced by those, those uh, older kinds of music, and yeah, I don't, I don't know yet though. We're still figuring it yeah. out. You know, just still coming up with your curriculum and yeah. all that. Have yeah. you, have you taught that subject before? Um, I've taught similar things. I did teach a class at UNM where we, we looked at um, pueblo music. You know, looking at, at performing. Uh, Pueblo social songs. So that was kind of a collaborative uh, uh, class where I would I would uh, maybe share some Navajo songs with students, and then I had a lot of students who were experienced with some of their songs. So they would come in, and we'd, it would kind of be this uh, this trading of uh, songs and, and finding out ways of learning things that aren't notated. You know. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. So is that is that just a that's a complete like folk tradition? So that, that 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 sort of music is has been just passed down person to person yeah. through, through the generations. Yeah, and that's what I'll be you know researching and maybe talking about in this class is is how those songs were shared or how they were passed down or how they might have changed, and uh, you know how particular they are to certain villages or, or parts of the state or you know uh, just looking at all of that all of that kind of stuff. Wow, uh, that's amazing. And then, and then from there, you're, so you're going to Canada, and then, and then soon you're going to uh, to Germany as well. Yeah, I'll be in Germany next year. Wow, what what is what does that entail exactly? Um, I was awarded what's called the Berlin Prize for music composition. Uh, they award this prize to uh, different different people working in different subjects uh, every year. So. Um, Every year they award a composer, a visual artist, or a writer, 
um, a, a scientist, mathematician, all of these people they award and they, they bring them in to live in residence at this um, academy there, uh, the American Academy. And um, other than that, it's unrestrictive. I mean, they, they don't require me to produce anything, even though I will. Um, you know, I, I'm up there to just kind of work. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you have any Do you have any plans of what you're going to produce up there? Or are you just going to? Yeah, there's some. Uh, there's a large, hour long, uh, piece I'm writing for a duo in San Francisco called the Living Earth Show. Okay. Uh, which is a percussionist and a guitarist, and uh, but they they read notated music. They come from a, uh, a notated uh, experimental classical tradition. And so they've commissioned me to write a work that I'll be continue, continuing to work on. I've started so far, but it's, it's uh, turning into quite a massive piece. And the hope is to have this visual element to the performance of it. So we're going to be flooding a venue with water and using the water as, an, as a percussive instrument. Not necessarily where... Uh, any dripping water sounds because I don't, I'm not a fan of that kind of sound. You know, yeah. it sounds like somebody urinating a lot of times. <laughs> but but the idea that you, if there was water on the floor here on the concrete floor and you slapped it, that it would have a particular kind of sure. sound to it. So that's uh, that's going to be one of the instruments, and I think there'll be other kinds of uh, other kinds of ways to use the water, especially as the experience of being in the audience were. Your your feet will you know will be submerged in the water also and trying to figure out how to yeah plug um, it's an electric guitar that he'll be using so <laughs> I want to make sure nobody gets electrocuted or yeah you know any microphones maybe you know. suspended from from the air or something like that yeah up up a shelf or a table or something like that yeah yeah I don't know yet figure is there out. is there gonna be some integration of of the audience. Sound as well. I mean, is that sort of? I don't know by yet. Design? I don't know yet. Probably not. I, I'm not sure if that's something I'm interested in. But yeah. um, these are two virtuoso players, and um, I'm just trying to think up some uh, some more complicated things for them to do. You know. Yeah. Just challenge them a little bit. Yeah. 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 Man, so you're you're a busy guy. I. Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty. So, man, how? Let's see. I I don't even remember how I met you, Raven. Um, was it through like Mike and Patrick, or yeah, it might just, have like, been passing, just in passing. I don't. It know. might have been in passing. Um, I can't remember. I remember seeing your band a couple times, Mistletoe, back then. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I was I was always trying to get to shows, and um, yeah, it might have been the the Day Brothers though, who I've been playing music with since. I think 1998 maybe wow and uh we still play today we have a yeah. band called tenderizer that we we uh a thrash metal band that we formed about uh, shoot almost eight years ago now yeah eight or, eight or nine years ago man that house show it was awesome i just feel i felt like uh it's been a long time since i've been to a house show like that yeah <laughs> and, uh, oh yeah the one yeah. this summer yeah yeah this summer yeah. and uh <laughs> my my favorite part was just wondering if the floor was going to give way or not because there were just so many people in that living room. Oh uh, yeah, uh, it was it was a blast. It just it was, it was nice to just kind of just be in a sweaty room with really 
really high volume, high energy stuff like that. That's great, man. Yeah. yeah thanks for coming, man. That's, that's, uh, I have, we, we have a ton of fun in that project because, um, you know, we grew up with thrash metal and we're, we're big fans of that still, but, um, but you know, we also play, we like to make weird music too. And one day we were just, you know, I mean, we're always, we, when we've played together, we, we play all kinds of different styles. We've played kind of like noise surf music before, me and, and Pat and Mike, and yeah. uh, they have all kinds of other bands we're involved in. And we, we also make noise with death convention singers. And uh, usually when we're tuning up or whatever, we, we joke around and play some metal riffs. And one day we were like, well, shoot, let's just f make a, a band <laughs> using yeah. all these riffs that we, you know, are coming up with or that maybe we're in the uh in the teenage archives sure. of your head you know you come up with stuff and you, you're like yeah i could use that someday <laughs> and yeah we just put it all together and uh we got steve from leeches allure and kirby and uh yeah it's great so yeah oh so there's the, the i was under the impression that was like the last show for like ever it uh no nah, i don't think it'll be i think it, um i don't know when how often steve will come back because he moved but um there's a, there's probably two more albums that we we just haven't sat down and record yet um, yeah we have a bunch of songs um that we haven't gotten tight enough to show live you know but um, there will be some at least new recorded material from us, and maybe some shows, maybe some maybe a, a tour in the Midwest or somewhere. Sweet man, because um, he's out because Steve's out there now. So where is he in, in, in Indiana? Somewhere? Yeah, he moved to Indiana, but yeah, I see him coming back and probably tr trying to do some leeches shows or something. He he says things are the last show, but I don't I don't know if I believe him all the time. <laughs> <laughs> he has he has so many friends here and collaborators. He, we hope he comes back. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So where, I don't really, like, where did you grow up, Raven? I, I grew up in a town called Chinle, Arizona, okay. um, about four hours west of Albuquerque on the Navajo Reservation. It's near um, Canyon de Chez, if you've ever been out there. And, uh, and then the family moved here when I was a little bit older, like maybe nine or ten or so, and to, to, to Albuquerque? To Albuquerque, yeah. yeah. And because uh, my father, he's from northern New Mexico, so he'd been building a home on the north part of town here. And um, so we ended up moving here. Where's where your dad from? He's from Mora. Okay, that's where my grandma's from, actually. Oh, yeah, I think we talked about this before, that, yeah. That might have been one of our first conversations. Yeah. Thinking about it. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. yeah, we might be related, man. Yeah. <laughs> there's not too many people from up, yeah. up in that valley. But, um, yeah, so he's from up there. And um, I've lived in Albuquerque my whole life, pretty much. I, I moved to L.A. Uh, about it, 2002, and I lived out there for about seven years, and then I came back. You were, you were studying at CalArts, right? Yeah, I went to CalArts. I studied uh, composition and, and art there, and, um, and then I stayed out there for a while. And around that time, I was starting to make, be able to make music full-time, and I was touring a lot, and I was I was like, shoot, if I'm never going to be home, I'm going to never be home in New Mexico, at least where yeah. it's cheaper, you know? Yeah. And uh, so I moved back. But um, I've always, you know, had collaborators here, like the, the aforementioned Day Brothers and um, other people like Marisa DeMarco and 
Bud Melvin and Jessica Billy. A lot of, there's a lot of great musicians here, so, um, you know, per capita, I think there's probably maybe more, definitely more interesting ones than I was finding other places. So really? I, oh, I felt that way. I mean, L.A. had a great music scene, which is, is, is dear to me also. And, uh, yeah. um, but, I mean, it's such a big place. I mean, here you can go down the street and uh, get people together and, you know, yeah, it's a lot easier. It's, not, it's a lot easier. You deal yeah. with the four or five traffic, or yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly, man. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and people are, you know, they you have to work harder out there in 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 a day job, you know, just to support yourself. And you know, finding studio space is more and more rare in in cities like this. So, um, like Los Angeles, but Albuquerque, I mean, you can you can rent a space very uh, very reasonably and. And um, I don't know. I think the the music that I wanted to make was going to make more sense if I came back here. You know, yeah. it was going to to speak about what uh, about New Mexico or the Southwest. Whereas um, being in California, that maybe I mean, even though I was doing a lot of work there and have a lot of collaborators there, it wasn't uh, wasn't what I wanted to make music about, or it wasn't a place of influence that I see. Uh, yeah. this place having on me. Yeah. It's really tied to this, this ge- geographical area. Yeah. 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 I remember the, one of the first things you you passed my way, way back in the day, um, what was the name of it? It was like a, it's like a thing where you're just kind of experimenting with like Beatles songs. Oh yeah. Um, I thought that was really interesting. And I just always, like, you've always been kind of a mystery to me, because, like, I think we're just diametrically opposed, just, you know, in sensibility. But I've always really been interested in kind of kind of what you're up to and just how you, just, you know, how you think of things. Because it's, it's just so thoughtful and just so, uh, um, I don't know, I just feel like you're in another plane than maybe than I'll, I'll ever Oh shoot, man! <laughs> Thanks, man. Um, no, I mean a lot of that came about. I guess you know I um, was always been interested in music. I have a grandfather who sings a lot of uh, Navajo songs, yeah. and that was probably some first exposure to to music. You know, to somebody making original music, um, or 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 sharing you know traditional music, and yeah. um, and then living out on the res there's not a lot of uh i mean there's only a few radio stations and and your your access to music is more limited but um and metal is huge out there so i mean that that became an influence as well and um and then the beatles the beatles were huge to me as a young person um and it got me interested in you know playing the guitar and the piano and so uh, I learned to play the piano, and I learned to read music, and I learned, you know, I was interested. Are you, in are you self-taught? Did you have teachers? No, I had a teacher. Um, I was in, interested in making music, and when we moved to Albuquerque, uh, this woman was giving my sister and, and I free piano lessons, and so my mom said, you know, you can, you can uh, get into making music, but you got to study with this lady. So, um, so yeah, so she. She showed me how to read music, and uh, what was I wasn't, her name? Her name is Don Chambers. She she, uh, funny enough, she was a teacher to a lot of people who I ended up meeting later, 
uh, Ariel Muniz, who was, oh, well. was the band FOMA, and yeah. Heather Trost. They were, they were students of Dawn in one way or another. But Ariel was, uh, yeah, as a young girl, she, she learned from Dawn also, which is really strange um, that this woman had uh, <laughs> produced, uh, you know, and influenced so many, so many musicians here in town. Yeah, that's incredible. Um, and, uh, I mean, I tell this story a lot. I've told it in other interviews. But this woman, she was giving us lessons, and she, but we never really saw her play, you know. And one day she, she told my parents and us, uh, I'm playing a concert at UNM. Yeah, why don't you guys come? And, and we got all, got all dressed up, and we went over to Keller Hall, and, um, and there was a piano on stage. And my teacher comes out on stage wearing a, like a bathrobe and uh-huh. carrying uh, all these rubber duckies and, in her arms and, and walks over to the piano and throws all those rubber duckies inside the piano. And I'm, I'm like, what the hell is this? What's going on? And then she slams the lid you know, over the keys, she slams it shut, and just bam. And uh, I'm like, whoa, what is this? It's crazy. And then, um, and people were like talking, They're like, what is, you know, laugh, people were laughing. And then yeah. she w- walks off stage and that was it. And um, after, after the performance, she introduced us to the, um, the composer. And uh, we were still expecting her to go up there and play something, you know, classical music, but that never happened. And uh, so she introduces us to the composer, and that was, that was when the UNM had brought John Cage to, uh, to UNM for the Composer Symposium back in, I think it was 91 or something. So, oh, yeah. So that was, uh, yeah. So John Cage was on stage? For, for he, yeah, he was presenting work at that uh, concert, and that was one of his pieces. I don't know what piece that was. Yeah. <laughs> One of the variations pieces or something, or wow. zero minutes and zero seconds or something. I don't know, but uh, but yeah, that was uh, so. You know, I, I, I that I'm not going to say that that influenced me, but later on when I w- became interested in experimental music, you know, that yeah. name came up again, and I said, oh, okay, you know, uh, I should look into this. Yeah, did you ever read Silence? Yeah, yeah, Silence is is. Huge. I mean, I, I I've always been skeptical of John Cage, but I, I can't recommend reading that book enough. You know, as as a, a way to to critically think of music making, or even some people find value in it. I certainly find value in it as a, as a poem. You know, as sure. as a as a conceptual uh, book too. You know, the way it's laid out and um, yeah, it works on so many different levels. Such a great work. I mean, it's almost like a way to live life if you, if you think about it I mean that's kind of how I thought about it in a lot of ways just, exactly yeah it's a very spiritual text and um, yeah it's just uh, it's an amazing book it's really interesting like it's almost like to really experience his music I mean cause I, I took a class at UNM John Cage class I forget who taught it was it Chris Schultz's it may have been he yeah he's a he's a very knowledgeable, yeah. uh, one of the expert scholars on John Cage. Yeah, and it was, I just thought it was really, but I thought, well, you almost need that book to really understand where, where it's coming from, like to really experience his music. Yeah. And, and it just gives it context. You know? It does, and it, it explains uh, a lot about what was happening around that time, you know, the middle of the century, and, and things that happened in... Um, you know, in other areas of art, of performance art, or uh, you know, works for text, and uh, 
things that visual artists were doing and things that later composers ended up doing. It, it, um, I think it, I think it sets the stage for, for, I don't want to say justifying, but for maybe explaining a, an entry into what those other artists were doing. Right. Yeah. It's really interesting. So, um, so, uh, I was wondering, did, was that, what was the first piece that you fell in love with? So, like, for, so I was thinking about this when you asked me to do yeah. this. And it could go a lot of different ways. I mean, there's, surely Navajo music had a influence. And once I was kind of forced to take piano lessons, uh, uh, there were classical pieces that, you know, I, I became interested in. But... Um, would you say she was a huge, like a pretty large influence, just just by, uh, just because you're you're being instructed by her? Don Chambers, um, yeah. not necessarily, but I acknowledge uh, how important it was to to learn notated music. Yeah, I surely wouldn't be doing what I do today if I didn't develop those skills early. And at, you know, at the same time, that having that kind of instruction develops your ear and you know trains your your idea of um, looking at classical music as, as maybe processes of composition. But, um, so th this could have gone a lot of different ways. It could have gone, uh, but, um, because I know you love the Beatles too, I think, I think it somewhere in there was, was probably, um, it was something, one of them, one of their songs, you know, and they have 200 songs and I think almost all of them are amazing in their own way. But probably the thing that got me really interested well this is kind of what set in motion my way of looking at music was probably one of you know something like I am the walrus or something where you started hearing that they were making things backwards I mean that song and and uh, strawberry fields they were they were actually running the tape in reverse and I love the Beatles so much that I wanted to hear 200 more songs of the Beatles 12 more albums of the Beatles yeah. So I dubbed every album to cassette when I was about 12 years old, and I unscrewed. Uh, after I dubbed them, I unscrewed each cassette shell and put the tape in reverse, so that I could have 200 more <laughs> Beatles songs. And I would listen to those, you know, when I got when I exhausted all my listening of the original songs. And that's, um, that's so cool. What an amazing <laughs> idea. And uh, some of them sounded great. Some of them, I, I. I I don't know if they, you know, what they sounded like or what, how to explain what they were, but um, it got me, that was probably my first, you know, entry into making experimental music was to do something like that, you know. And, as um, a 12-year-old? Yeah, as, as wow. a kid, you know, to, to just mess around with tapes and make, you know, and, and just, you know, getting hands-on with it, yeah. with making music by, uh, with cassette tapes and, um but you know, I am the walrus was probably the the piece that I was most anxious to hear backwards, and um, because it's such such an amazing song forward. Um, but yeah, that that song, I mean, that process of doing that uh, got me thinking about weird music, and it, it influenced all kinds of things. It, it got me interested in in what I ended up doing later, starting a. a small label of, you know, cassette label or CDRs and, and putting out music of my friends. So that's called 666 Distro um, that I started. And it was, yeah, I was putting out the, the music of like Fondo or Lionhead Bunny or um, 
Big Watt or any of these people in town that are making music. Um, and it, um, you know, it got, I, I took it further and, and ended up making that uh, project with uh, taking about a hundred Beatles songs and making uh, nine new songs out of them. That was the Meet the Beatless uh, release that I made back in 2003 that I was, that you were talking about. And um, <laughs> eventually I even did some of the solo Beatle albums. I put Double Fantasy backwards <laughs> and, you know, dubbed that one and ran it backwards and I was listening to, you know, kiss, 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 you know, yeah. but backwards it was saying sick, sick, sick. 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 And I was oh, like, whoa. I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to name my label that, you know, when I decided <laughs> to have that label later on, I was like, I'm going to use that. Wow, what a great story. That's cool. So that's how that name came about, was from that. <laughs> that's awesome. I mean, I, I, that's weird because I, I just, I had no idea. Like, I didn't know, um, I kind of didn't know where you were coming from with, like, with the Beatle uh, project, you know? Like, cause I, f I feel like there are quite a few people that, um, it's almost like, to me, I was wondering, well, is it sort of like a destroy your idols thing? Is it, is it like, is it a reaction against just, popular music um, to begin with or you know like where mm -hmm. I just didn't know I had no context so yeah it's really interesting to hear that no it was like coming from a place of, of like love and respect and and uh, enjoyment you know you just wanted to hear hear it but hear it, it differently you know? it was I did two of those I did three actually releases under the name Kleptones um, and that was around the time that, that you were starting to see people do like mashups and things yeah. like that. I was, it was funny. I found a community online called Get Your Boots On. That was a small internet community around 2001 or so of people making music like this, you know, finding one song and sticking it on top of the other. And I was making my own, but mine were a little bit more cut up. And it started, it did, the first Kleptones, the one before the Beatles one, it did come from a place of like, well, let's take the really mundane, um, you know, Huey Lewis or something that you know, we're yeah. bombarded with on the radio. <laughs> no offense to Huey Lewis. He actually, that's probably unfair to him, but somebody, yeah, I don't know, whatever. Just Kid Rock or whatever sure. the hell was on the radio at that time or, uh, you know, any number of bands that you're just bombarded with. And I, I did, it did come from a place like that. So you're, you're right there that, that, um, that potential is there in in working with audio, and I didn't I didn't know yet about people like John Oswald or other people who were who were making or Christian Markley who were really making artwork about destroying you know the sound or creating new new works from the artifacts of of popular music, but um, or Jim, James Tenney who in, who did a piece in the '60s where he totally destroyed blue suede shoes. Oh, no and that's what, a, what did he do? What was the uh... he uh, James Tenney is a, a, a amazing composer. If uh, any listeners don't know his work, uh, definitely check it out. He's I think he's one of the most important American composers after John Cage, uh, who was working in the twentieth century. And he was he ended up becoming my teacher uh, when I moved out to California. But he did a piece. Um, funny enough. Bell, Bell Labs, you know, the telephone company, yeah. uh, in, the, in the 50s and 60s used to let experimental avant-garde composers use their facilities to experiment with sound. Oh, wow. And um, they just opened the doors and let people, you know, well, it wasn't open to everybody, but they invited composers to come do 
experiments. Yeah. I think also in the hopes of just um, finding, you know, interesting ways of using audio and maybe, you know. Just a cheap R&D way. Yeah, 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 totally. <laughs> yeah, <it's, laughs> a trade-off. But, the, you know, they have all this amazing equipment and maybe composers had ideas of how to hack that equipment. And, yeah. Uh, um, so he, I think one of his early pieces, he, he was running uh, Elvis's blue suede shoes through all these machines and it just totally obliterated it. So um, I think it's called Collage Number One, James cool. Tenney. Um, and uh, but okay, so back to the the Kleptone stuff. That was it. Did start from a place like that, but then uh, I wanted to do the Beatles because I I felt like I knew that music uh, better than any anything else, and I knew every I knew how to play almost all of those songs, and I knew how they were what chords they were composed of, and I knew every brick of those songs, and I knew that if I put this brick from this song next to this brick of a different song or on top of it, that it was going to match, you know? Yeah. And um, so that's that's where that came from. It, it was also... Uh, what did you use to do that? The first Kleptones album, I used a lot of tape and... Um, guitar pedals and effects pedals so it was, it was very analog or I used uh, turntables um, some of it was cassette tape and then just pausing and unpausing you know oh, yeah and then uh, I got a computer and then I was using like cool edit or whatever for the Beatles one and I think somewhere in there there's one or two that are composed with uh, using there was a I don't even know if they make this anymore but acid Oh, was yeah. where you could line up loops, and that made it much easier. But that didn't—I didn't like that sound, uh, so I didn't use it too often because it was too. Um, there were two things wrong with it. It was—it made it too quantized, right? And it and it also pitch shifted really weird. Sometimes uh, yeah. the, the effect of that was cool, but other times it was too uh, had too much artifacts, you know. Yeah. Um, and then there's there's on that album there's there's uh, two songs that I collaborated with a friend of mine. So he was I think he ended up using maybe Super Collider or some kind of uh, more choppy way of making that one. Um, so two of the tracks he he made with me. Is Super Collider the one that's sort of just like a like a graph based? You kind of just like choose this like symbol and then you like tie it together with some other thing uh, you might screen. be thinking of max max That's msp yeah 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 <coughs> which is a great program i've i used it a long time ago for for some things but i never really got into making music with computers um definitely more kind of analog electronics or uh you know hacked electronics yeah that's awesome um, do you want to take a listen to a song? Like one of your, like maybe I Am the Walrus or something? Oh, yeah, let's yeah. listen to that. Yeah. Okay. How are you, what are your feelings about uh, like Revolution 9? I never liked that piece. I thought it was, yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah, when I was a kid, it was interesting, but you know, I, I skipped it. It's like, yeah. And and then looking back on it today, I still don't consider it a, a good piece of experimental music. I don't know. I think I'm the Walrus is much more interesting. Yeah. And I you know I I know where they're coming from. They're coming from. They say they were influenced by Stockhausen and, and John Cage, and of course Yoko Ono was. Yeah, she was, <laughs> she was deep in that scene, man. That was, yeah, that was her. That was her scene, right? Like, but it it sounds like an experiment. It doesn't sound like they took it too seriously. Okay. It sounds like a student work, you know. Yeah. And. Uh, I don't know. 
Yeah, whereas I and the Wal- I and the Walrus is kind of like they're they're using those ideas, but, but making it into like a Beatles composition. Yeah, that yeah, interesting. Well, here it is. I am the Walrus. <laughs> Understand stereo recordings till maybe this song, you know? Like, yeah. Because one speaker would be out or something, or the one headphone would be. Or you try to listen to it with somebody else and you right. hear, and you're like, whoa, there's two songs going on. Yeah, there's like, like important yeah. things are hard hand. Yeah. For some reason. <laughs> yeah, they would do that back then. And yeah. I've always like, really, really liked that. Like, it's probably like a totally. Not, not wrong, but I really love that. Like, I still try to hard band stuff when yeah. I mix things. Just because it's, it's just fun, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I I do it live. Um, extend the noise out of one side and try to pan it around. And, um, and then if, if I can, like, play in, like, a quad environment, I'll do that for sure. You know? Yeah. Sounds like all the um What's it doing though? Sending both of one side to both head I think so. Because yeah. you're not hearing any of the uh, cello or uh, strings or anything. Right. That must all be on the other side. Yeah, it's like or the trumpet, there was a trumpet it's or like the basic one. tracks almost. It's just the basic track. Yeah. yeah. Funny. No violin there. Yeah, no violin or no because uh, there's horns in there too. There's like a French horn or something. But. <laughs> you ever get into uh, Delia Derbyshire at all? Not so much. I've heard that stuff, but um, yeah, not so much. Um, and I didn't know about her work. I mean, you know, I'd heard the what was it? Doctor Who or something? Yeah. Was it? Yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd heard that stuff. I had no idea it was, uh, you know, her doing that, you know, or who was making that music. But, um, you know, I became more aware of that stuff. I mean, shoot, you know, with the internet. It's like you know, all this stuff gets resurfaced or, or surfaced to a lot of people for the first time. It's really amazing. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I haven't heard a lot of things either that she was doing. Um, it's, it's really inspiring, I think, for a lot of people to, to learn that women were making this music back then, and there's a lot of women who weren't um, acknowledged while they were making this kind of music. Like, and one that stands out to me is a, a composer named Marianne Amache, okay. who makes this amazing music that's, um, that uh, really uses the phenomena of how your ears hear reflections and... Um, Make sense of the space that you're you're in, you know. So almost like the echolocation that humans have, and, and 
doing things like having tones that are out of sync or out of time with each other and out of harmony with each other and exploiting all of those properties and, and so you hear it and you, you, it just sounds like <laughs> could sound like two smoke alarms going off in two different rooms but it's the the effect of this music is is amazing What are they saying there? Are they saying everybody loves us? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the 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 rumor was always that it said everybody smokes pot, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it says something else. I don't know yeah. what it really says. You're, is it? It just reminds me of like the Wizard of Oz or something, right yeah. there. Like it's it's supposed to be King Lear. Oh, is it really? And uh, you know, oh, they, the, the two uh, the two voices right there. Yeah, like, the what uh, say you, sir? Or whatever. Yeah, supposedly the engineers were just mixing in like live radio, and they tuned in the BBC while they were recording and then the King Lear was on and they mixed threw it into the board Wow! while they were like making this collage um, but yeah the rumor is it says everybody smokes pot and I think <laughs> I think it was I think it was Rocket from the Crypt had a album and the last song kind of ends like that and they're saying everybody <laughs> smokes pot <laughs> just outright it's funny that's hilarious what a great uh serendipitous moment there because that's that that I for a long time I thought that was just John and Paul just just being cheeky you know? <laughs> yeah it sounds like, like yeah just all British people sound alike you yeah know, to me. <laughs> I thought it was them too but yeah no I think I think that's what what is real the real story behind that oh crazy cool so um so take us forward a bit like in your uh, musical upbringing so so yeah as a kid I was really into Thrash metal, I loved it. Who are your favorite bands? Slayer, obviously, yeah. and Slayer and and Metallica and um, uh, there was, you know SOD. I loved SOD. I mean, I love stuff too, like Judas Priest. I was huge, you know, a huge fan of that and like Iron Maiden, you know, that kind of metal too. And a um, little bit in the start, you know, get into death metal, but I didn't. I I think that's where I stopped having an interest in that kind of thing. There. Um, I'm not going to claim that it was too juvenile because I was just a kid, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Ew, I'm too sophisticated. Yeah, no, it wasn't that. It was like I don't. I think it, it what what ended up happening, the way I've come to be able to explain it is that it <laughs> it's not that it wasn't harsh either. It, it to me it didn't seem harsh. It it didn't seem. I mean, maybe the the themes of this music was getting more and more extreme, extreme but yeah. the 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 recording quality seemed to be getting better also, and I didn't like that. Oh, <laughs> I wanted okay. to hear, I, I wanted to hear, hear some dudes bashing it out in a room, kind of. Yeah, or I wanted to hear uh, a car crash, or or fingernails on chalkboard, or any of that stuff, you know. Yeah. In in the music, I thought it would the the. The extremeness of the music would evolve too, without it just getting faster and and. Oh, okay, so and, so not not like the obvious ways to make it more extreme. It got more extreme by just becoming faster sure. and faster drums, and the vocals became, you know, like but they didn't become noisy. Like I would rather hear, I don't know, a baby screaming <laughs> into a <laughs> megaphone more than some cookie monster, you know. So yeah, yeah I just lost interest, but. Um, but you know my my friends and my neighbors uh, and their older brothers were trading tapes and um, it I never came across the you know the Faith No More tape but 
around the time Faith the More came out, uh, my friend's older brother had a cassette of this band, Mr. Bungle, oh, which yeah. was Mike Patton's fir- you know, first band. And well, I didn't realize that's how it went. That, that, that was his first band? That was his first band that oh. they had had as teenagers. And, uh, and when I heard that, it was like, what the hell is this? This is insane. Like, just jumping around from circus music to to speed metal, to, you know, surf music, to porno soundtrack thing, you know, and field recordings were in there and all kinds of stuff, you know, was happening. And, um, and the production of it was really interesting too. And I, it just blew my mind, you know, and, um, how old were you when you heard that? I think I was like, yeah, like maybe 13 or something when that came out, maybe 12, 13. Yeah, around the time too, I was studying like piano and I was wanting to learn guitar, so I was trying to teach myself guitar and bass, and um, wasn't really playing with people yet. But you know, just just really listening to stuff. And I, I yeah, I think I stopped listening to metal, even though there's heavy metal inside of uh, this Mr. Bungle music. But it was it was the first. Um, I mean, you know, I think a lot of people. Uh, have been have been uh, exposed to experimental music, but they hear it. Their exposure to it is like the Halloween soundtrack, or you know, oh, some sure. some horror movie soundtrack, which is great. You just don't realize that that's music. You don't identify it as music. But when you have a band doing this, and there's there's drums, and there's there's the traditional sort instrumentation, yeah, yeah. Then then you, I guess that was my entry to that kind of thing, you know. Wow. And. Um, I was trying to think of a track. There's a track not on their first album, not, but they put out an album in 1995 called Disco Volante, and there's a song "Mary Go Bye Bye" on that. Uh, that's the last song on that album. That um, I think probably has all of these different genres and production techniques and noise that um, changed a lot of things for me. Okay, let's hear it. And that's funny because uh, we were talking about the Day Brothers. Mm-hmm. And they were the people that introduced me to Mr. Bungle. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, I think I was a freshman in UNM. Yeah. And they were like, man, Mr. Bungle. And they were just, yeah. Yeah. It was like, they were just so jazzed about them. And it was, yeah, it was great to. Yeah, so a couple of years after, yeah, like hearing this song, I met those guys. And that's, that's why we, we became friends, because we both listened to this kind of shit. <laughs> <laughs> what album is it on? Disco, um, Vol- Disco Volante. It's okay. called Merry Go Bye Bye. All right.
Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff in there, man. There's a lot of, a lot of stuff going on, man. Uh, that sounded like a lot of fun to be in that band. Yeah, like, yeah, I bet, man. It's just, just like a, just, I, I, you can just tell. They're just like, one, they can play anything they want to play. It's, yeah. It seems like. And then two, they're just like, we're just, we're going to play whatever we feel like playing right now. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're an amazing just, group, and... Um, yeah, I mean, the more I've I, I have um, been working in, in the way I've been working, yeah. I've been able to meet some of these people. So Trace Bruance, uh, the guitarist, and, uh-huh. uh, he and I have had some correspondence. And Willie Winant, I met him at CalArts. He came and taught us uh, how to play John Zorn's Cobra a long time ago. It was Whoa. back in 2003. So people who've played in this group, you know. Like, yeah. Um, getting to know them a little bit better, you realize how amazing, you know, players they are. And, and, uh, but I think at the time, yeah, they were, um, you know, just kids too, just making music and having fun with it. And, and, uh, you hear, I mean, to me, when I think of this music, you hear, um, what it's like to grow up in the, in the late part of the 20th century right. where you <laughs> bombarded yeah. with, uh, you might be watching a cartoon one minute and then you flip in a, a commercial comes on and, and then something else happens and your attention is getting, you know, compressed and, sure. and, uh, yeah, the, the change of tone is just completely different. Like, yeah, yeah. there's a, there's a TV on in every room in some homes and, you know, it's the, very much a condition before the internet, but when you were, uh, yeah, growing up in the '80s or whatever, <laughs> they had all yeah. of this, you know, technology coming at you faster than you can, you know, comprehend it. Yeah, that's that's perfect. That totally. I mean, that make, Yeah, it sounded it sounded like even I was having a similar thought. Like it sounded like these are kids living in California in the late '80s, early '90s, mm-hmm. and, and this is just uh, it's almost just how they're it, they're just uh, basically expressing kind of what it's like to, to be in that time. Yeah. I mean, I just basically reiterated exactly what you said, but that was the thought I had. Yeah, no, it comes across, yeah, the more you, you realize what's happening. And, um, yeah, and then it's, uh, I mean, there's a lot of humor in it too, but, um, yeah, but, um, yeah. You, you, you can hear the, uh, the seriousness of the music, yeah. you know, and, and, and the recreation of these styles. And, and um, yeah. So, yeah, it blew my mind as a young person. It made me think, yeah, I have to practice my <laughs> instrument <laughs> and find some like-minded people to, to do this kind of, you know, if I want to play stuff like this. Right. Well, and it, 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 I mean, hearing that and then hearing Tenderizer, I'm like, yeah, that's, that's perfect. Like, that's, you know, you, I totally understand. I mean, Steve is a perfect vocalist for that project. Yeah, yeah. You know? Oh, yeah, he's yeah, so versatile. And, and Mike, yeah, all these guys are great players. And, and Kirby didn't grow up with this kind of stuff, but you know, his, his, his drumming is... too, man. Yeah, his drumming is... Uh, I think his mom was a drummer and his grandma was a drummer. No way. Yeah. He, oh, okay. so, he, so that makes sense. Yeah. I so always he, wondered, because I remember, like, I, I would just, you know, I would, went to some cross-punk show and, like, like the Iron House, maybe mm-hmm. like a long time ago, and we were just we were just hearing about this kid, like this kid Chris Kirby's like twelve, is just like kicking ass. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and you go in there and you see this kid, and you're just like, damn, <laughs> what's up with him? Uh, that, but that makes sense. If your if your mom and grandma are badass drummers, then of course you know. Yeah, it's bound to happen. 
That's cool. Wow. Um, you recently had a collaboration with uh, John Dietrich, too? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. It, um, yeah, he's a good friend, and he moved here in, uh, I think, 2009, maybe? Um, so, he's, yeah, he's, he's pretty much a New Mexican at this point. Yeah, he's, he's fully fledged. He's been jumped in. Yeah, the... yeah, and he's, a, he's another musician. Um, I mean, I, I've known Deerhoof's work for a long time and always been a fan of that stuff and, uh, and had been aware that uh, the people in that band were also, you know, making more inaccessible music, you know, in, involved in improvisation and other kinds of, all, just all kinds of projects that, that most people who might know of their music might not be aware of, you know, that, yeah. that they're involved in all these other experimental collaborations. And um, so when John moved here, yeah, he and I naturally uh, were playing with each other. And um, whenever our schedules would align, because he's gone a lot and I'm gone a lot, but whenever we're both in town, we try to we'd try to record. And um, so over the past, yeah, maybe four years, we've amassed uh, all these different kind of... Uh, <laughs> sounds I guess and 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 bits of songs and uh, improvisations that we were able to edit and uh, you know in each of our studios and collaboratively to put these things together and and uh, come up with an album we that we put up this year under the project name endlings and uh, yeah it's it's quite different music for than he and I have ever made before we've, we've come to realize it's uh it doesn't sound like us, which we're really pr we're really proud of that. That, yeah. that could happen. I like think you pulled it, like things out of each other that maybe you didn't expect. Yeah, or from or yeah. from somewhere out. Like it, maybe it's even somewhere else. It's so, some of it's very dark, and uh, that huh. what, that wasn't our intention. But it's uh, it's coming from some place that we can't really explain. Um, again, I don't know if that's inside of us. I think I think one part of the process that I'll share with you is that the um, which was something that he's shared it has is new for him is to play instruments that he might not have, you know, be f always playing, you know, like drums yeah. or something. And I mean, I'm playing violin on a lot of it and, uh, we're both, you know, using our voice. Uh, so we're just, we're playing pretty much any instrument we had access to. I play saxophone on there and, and you know, I'm not, I wouldn't consider myself a, a horn player by any means, but anyway, and, and not that, not that we're, not that that's the gimmick of it either, but that we were just really, you know, um, interested in what kinds of sounds we can, we can make with these, these instruments and, and they're still very much songs, you know, they're, they're, um, they're in that, you know, minute and a half to three minute mark and, um, function very much like songs. Yeah. That's awesome. Are you guys gonna follow it up? Or are you still? Yeah, no, we have. So we're uh, we're working on another one. This one we just put out, so we're, um, you know, we haven't we haven't started work on the other ones. But I think we have some some things that didn't end up on this last album, and um, I, I definitely have some ideas for the next one. And we we play when we can. Uh, we played a show earlier this summer. Oh, how did, did I miss that? That's really weird. Yeah, we opened for uh, for Heather Trost. No way. Band, yeah. God, I'm a dummy. That was like Gold House. It was kind of a. I think we actually jumped on last, like the week before okay. it happened. But next time we have one, I'll let you know, man. Yeah, that'd be that'd be great. I'd love to. You know what? Actually, I remember trying to get to that show and just just couldn't do know, it. Getting myself lost in in <laughs> Albuquerque, where I, I know this place backwards and forwards. Yeah. And it's, 
It's like, it's got to be right here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, and then I gave up. So. <coughs> we've, played a, we've played a few times. Yeah. Cool. Um, what, what, are you, what are you listening to these days? That, what's something that's excited you recently? There's so much stuff. Um, I, I have been listening to... Um, well, let me think. I've been listening to... If, if we're talking about um, more mainstream music, I've been listening to a lot of Funkadelic and Parliament. Um, awesome. Stevie Wonder. I've been listening. I mean, that's stuff I've been listening to for a long time, but I, I reconnected with that with that kind of stuff. Um, I've been listening to because of this class I'll be teaching. I've been listening to a lot of uh, 18th century and uh, 19th century Spanish music, or or recreations of this music from from New Mexico, particularly these um, these songs called Inditas. Um, and different kinds of, you know, corridos and, and, and ballads that were composed in, in New Mexico and became these kinds of uh, shared songs. Um, and, and are they field recordings? or, or some, are, some are field recordings that were made, you know, in the middle of the century, and, and others are um, just, most of them are that, but some of them also are just um, people uh, who've, gone from transcriptions and then re-recorded, you know, wow. in a more controlled environment. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in this, uh, another one of my, my teachers at CalArts, um, his name's Michael Pizarro, but uh, he belongs to a group of composers called, uh, who call themselves Vandelweiser. They're, they're composers who uh, incorporate a lot of silence into their music and um, sometimes things happen very sparsely and almost all of this music is completely beautiful but uh, I mean to call it minimal or to say that it uses a lot of silence isn't always accurate but it's it, it, it definitely um, it sounds like just uh, time has been completely stretched or, or put in a situation where you, you, you lose track of of any type of duration or anything, so that um, when and, and and the music is listenable, it just requires an investment in in, in it and, and a patience that yeah. that you wouldn't have with any other kind of music that might be moving along, you know, in some kind of pace or or with uh, a, a form that's identifiable. Yeah. So I've been listening to stuff like that. Um, there's I'm always fascinated by though like um i mean i don't want to call it pop music but um there's a lot of because of the internet and because you know you can get on youtube and look up something that you've never uh heard before or or something that you've always wanted to look at but you never found the physical copy of um I always try to just become acquainted you know like a lot of people do just with stuff that they they'd never heard before yeah, and um, I've always been a fan of Buffy Saint Marie, and um, but it wasn't until maybe about ten years ago did I hear this album called Illuminations that she did, where it's it's still very Buffy Saint Marie-ish, you know, folk songs, but okay. she's using synthesizers also in in the album. So she this album 
Illuminations is so amazing. And when uh, did she record that? I yeah. think that was when was that? That was maybe definitely mid seventies or late seventies. Wow. Uh, no, no, no. It was sixty. It was sixty nine. She made that. It was yeah. It was in the sixties still. So yeah, nineteen sixty nine. She made that. Um, so there's one song on there. I think it's called "The Vampire." Yeah, that is a really beautiful song. Do we want to want to listen to? Yeah, that? let's listen to that one. Yeah, it's short. It's a short song. Okay. What do you think of Phantomus? I don't know. I couldn't. Uh, I saw them live a couple times. They're great. Yeah. It's not my thing. Yeah. Too much. Um, I don't know. I didn't. I don't follow them that closely. They did do one album I thought was really good. Was um, the one that was movie soundtracks. Uh-huh. I think it's called the director's cut. Um, yeah, that one was pretty good. They're great. They're they're great musicians too. I mean, it's it's half of Mr. Bungle. It's Dave right. Lombardo from Slayer, and it's uh, King Buzzo from Melvins. Yeah. He might be the element I don't know if I like. Really? <laughs> no, I don't know. <laughs> uh, That's don't funny. Know. It's just guitars. Like I, I think I'm. You're over guitars. I think so. Interesting. Think, well, after I mean, after one hears Mr. Bungle, I don't know if I don't know where Fantomas fits in. You know? Yeah. Yeah, it's almost like a. Yeah, it's almost more Melvins than maybe Mr. Bungle or. Yeah. yeah. Mike Patton influenced, but yeah. it's cool to hear, you know, their. They're good though. Yeah. They're good live. Some bands, I mean, they're they're. You just have to see them live, and yeah. like you know, it makes hearing the CD sometimes obsolete. You know, yeah. I can think of a lot of bands like that where it's like, it just doesn't translate. Their albums don't translate, but live, you know, they're amazing. You know. Yeah. Do yeah. do you are you familiar with uh, like Hydrahead Records or or like like bands like Isis or uh, yeah um or like Aaron Turner yeah Aaron Turner put out. Uh, my Mesa Ritual album, my collaboration with uh, oh, William I, Fowler I Collins. That. He has a new label called Siege with yeah. his wife, um, and they put out the Mesa Ritual album uh, a few years ago. Cool. So yeah, he's he's a friend. Yeah. Awesome. Um, I'd, I'd be interested in hearing you guys collaborate someday. I mean, you guys have a New Mexico connection. Yeah, you know, yeah. Like, oh man, that that. It, just, it seems obvious to me. It'd be great. It'd be great. Um, yeah. No, he. Uh, yeah, I haven't talked to him in a while, but he's uh, yeah, he's been a supporter of my music, which has been really great. And uh, and uh, yeah, if that can happen someday, that'd be that'd be fun. Yeah, cool. Let's listen to Buffy St. Marie. I just found it. The vampire. <laughs> Someone tall and old 
I don't, I'm not familiar with her. Yeah, she's a First Nations woman from, uh, from Canada. Um, you've probably heard a lot of songs of hers and just didn't know who she was. But um, yeah. yeah, she had uh, quite a, uh, a big career in the 60s and 70s. But it's interesting to, um, to research her, uh, what had happened and, and uh, that many people believe is that she was blacklisted because she became, you know, she's an indigenous woman who was uh-huh. bringing up these issues of, of, of civil rights at the time and um, having success in, uh, in uh, the mainstream music world. But um, yeah, that people, I think, were suppressing her work. Uh, because they didn't uh, like like her speaking her. out, yeah, about about indigenous issues, Damn. and uh, she's still performing. I, I I got to meet her a few years ago up in Toronto. Um, she was hanging out at an art opening, and I, I saw her, and I was like, "Holy shit! I got to talk to <laughs> Buffy Saint Marie, man! <laughs> Take a photo." Were, were, you, were you starstruck? Yeah, I don't get. I really don't get like that. I yeah. I really really don't, man. I'm really you know, it's it doesn't cool. Well, it's, I mean, I'm they're just musicians, you know. Yeah, like, that's true. Yeah, just, we're all people. We're all know? people. We all play music. But I, but I was, I was yeah. like, I was like, whoa, <laughs> you know. <laughs> what did you guys talk about? I was telling her all the shit. I was wasn't gonna waste any time. I was telling her all the stuff I'm I, I'm doing, and she, I, I was able to tell her about this teach, this teaching I do on the Navajo reservation of teaching young uh, Native students to write string quartets. So, oh whoa, I um. I was I was talking her her ear off about that and uh, yeah and she seemed interested in that. Are you are you still doing that? Right yeah, now? I do it every year, every August. Uh, I go out and I teach twenty to thirty high school age students on the Navajo, Hopi, and Salt River Pima reservations to uh, to write a three minute string quartet and then we put on a concert at the Grand Canyon every Labor Day. Whoa! So that's that's uh, another thing I'm involved in. Man, and uh, we did a we did a project last year in Santa Fe actually with Site Santa Fe, uh-huh. and the Santa Fe Indian School, um, having some students write pieces, and I th- I think there's something, a potential project coming up with the Santa Fe Opera too with some uh, young, native students in New Mexico. So uh, keep an ear out for that. And cool, I totally will. That's awesome. Um, something interesting happened over the weekend, and I I I. I, I I always notice that when you write Santa Fe, you write Satan Fe, mm-hmm. which, which I totally understand. I mean, I grew up in Santa Fe. Yeah, you're, so. you're from Santa Fe. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, I was sort of wanting to get your take. I mean, I told like the the whole Entrada thing that happened. Did you? Yeah, yeah, it was really interesting to me, and it's really. I mean, I think it's it's appropriate. I think it's great that it's coming up, and, and I'm hoping that something positive comes out of it. That's not like a I don't know. It's it's really it's a really interesting thing. It's really interesting to get people's takes on. Yeah. That. Yeah. All of these things are bubbling up, and and they've they for sure have always um, these discussions. I think have always happened in New Mexico, and I think I think the situation is better than than it appears. I think most Chicano and Pueblo and indigenous people in New Mexico. Are aware of the shared history, and yeah. and they're not pro conquistador. Right. At the same time, there are um, there is this kind of uh, uh, performance and this recognition of of that history, 
that maybe isn't always done with the most tact. Yeah. But I, my fear is that we're we're creating new binaries where some didn't exist before. You know, right. drawing lines where none existed, and and those lines were were solved. I think. I mean, even just genetically, most people in New Mexico have indigenous blood if if they're if they're from Spanish descent. Also, I think somewhere in there they have right. might because have Apache or Kiowa or Pueblo blood or Navajo blood. Yeah, and might, they might not know it, but they they understand the complexity of who they are and and where they're living. Yeah. Um, the fear is that it gets it gets exaggerated into something that's that's this side or like that either side, or. either yeah. or. And so that's that's my take on that is yeah. is to be cautious to not create uh, enemies amongst cousins, you know. Right. Yeah. And I and I I really kind of thought about it because I mean I grew up going to fiestas every year, and that and that part of fiestas was never like it was never anything I was really interested in anyway to begin mm-hmm. with. You know, I, I was happy that everyone was sort of downtown, but then I got to thinking, well. How many people am I seeing downtown that are from Tezuke or Huake mm-hmm. or yeah. you know? And and that was the thing that kind of, I mean, it, to finally have that realization, I guess, kind of broke my heart a little bit, you know. Just like this should be about everyone sort of sort of celebrating that we're all here together. Yeah, and, and I, not just this this story that people tell. I, I guess that's always the unfortunate thing, and that's why I pick on Santa Fe a little bit. Is that yeah. it, more and more it's becoming a second home for people who aren't from here? So, and right. and then a lot of friends and family that I have, they've been, they've ha- they've moved out of there for for whatever reasons, maybe for work, or they've been priced out of there, or they're just right. um, just too small of a town, you know, and um, they got work other places, and um, and so I think I think it is in in the the care and the responsibility of those people who are, are from there and who have historic ties to their, you know, uh, Hispano and native to to figure this out without the interventions of, of for lack of a better word, protesters. Yeah. yeah. Reactionary protesters. Right. Yeah. Cool. Do you have anything you'd like to play that you've worked uh, on recently? That I've worked on um, a few. I'm working on a new noise experimental album um, and this is just tracks I've made over the past 10 years I haven't released a solo album of experimental music in a while so um, and I don't know when I'll release this but I'll, I'll share it with you and uh, I don't know what I'll what I'll I don't know what we'll listen to next but let's just say this stuff uh, the material for this next album either comes from um, Noise instruments, what I, which I've been playing recently. One of them is a a deer antler, a mule deer antler that gets scraped on glass, and uh, creates tones by by its interaction with uh, the glass that it's forced to uh, forced upon. Yeah. And um, and also there's other sounds like field recordings. Uh, one of the songs that I have on this, and maybe this is the one I'll share, is a track of um, that I had recorded when I was in a classroom teaching kids to write these string quartets. And uh, in the other room, the adjoining room, was the music class that the kids were pulled out of uh-huh. to come work with me. And in that music class, they were learning how to play Native American flute, five-hold flute, you know. Um, yeah. As part of this class, and they were playing some simple song, who knows what, 
and uh, this being on a Navajo reservation, but the 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 Native American flute as we know it was is not part of our traditional music. So you you had this imposition of this instrument on these children, uh, which could be con- considered as a stereotype, perhaps. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you're having 30 kids try to play this uh, instrument and just not getting it right. You know, this is like a beginning <laughs> music class. Yeah. And it's it was a complete probably disaster for the teacher who was trying to wrangle 30 kids to play <laughs> a simple melody but to me it sounded amazing it was like a, a, a choir of individual voices just going off and and playing all out of tune but together you know yeah. and they were never going to get it right and that's exactly what it needed so yeah um it was perfect in in, in and of itself yeah so uh wow so that's the piece i'll share i'll share with you cool Anything else you'd like to add before, um, before we go? Yeah, not too much. Uh, I mean, I'm, uh, there's the 666 label. We're putting out new releases in the coming year, hopefully. Uh, the last one we put out was Jeremy Barnes from A Hawk and a Hacksaw put out a cassette, and Tenderizer put out a lathe cut 10-inch uh, of cover songs. Oh, that one's cool. And then we have, uh, we have some more stuff coming up so keep an eye out for that and um also i'm part of a collective called post commodity uh myself and two other artists 
and we have a lot of projects we're, we're working on. And so those are more in, in the visual art and uh, sound art kind of uh, field. Yeah. And so that's, uh, that's taking up a big part of my time, and that's, uh, that's a collaboration with uh, myself and my two good friends that we've been doing for, uh, I've been involved for about eight years with, with this collective, so. Wow. Um, How did you meet those two people? Um, they had heard about the work I was doing, which was experimental music, and I was touring a lot at the time, about 2008. Yeah. And, uh, and a former member of this collective, Nathan Young, uh, who's also an experimental musician, he, he came to see me play, I think it was in Tulsa, and uh, we met there, and they invited me to join uh, as they were kind of forming this collective. So uh, soon after that, I met Cade Twist, who was another founding member, and then... Uh, after I had joined, we added on another member, Cristobal Martinez, who's from uh, Alcalde, New Mexico, and is a uh, Chicano and of Santa Clara descent. So he, uh, he joined us, and he, everybody has their own skill set they bring to this collective. Um, myself being sound, and Cade works more with visual arts and text, and um, Cristobal works a lot with new media. You know, he's, he's in, he does coding and, and oh, building wow. of instruments. And so... Um, yeah, so we all share, you know, this knowledge with each other and, and think up projects. Uh, and for the most part, they involve sound, you know, and, and they're, they're uh, a lot of times very political, but not, not necessarily. They're, they're trying to get out of, like we were just saying, out of that, that binary sure. of, uh, uh, that gets set up uh, uh, not only in, in the real world, but also, you know, can end up in artworks. Yeah. And they, they don't really solve anything. I think when artworks can, if their intention is to, to at least think about solving something, it, it, it's at least to, to generate discussion about an issue. You know? So yeah. that's, that's a lot of the work that Post Commodity does and um, the things we're interested with that collective. Oh, awesome. It strikes me that you're, you're a busy guy. I don't. Shit, how do you do it, man? You just you do you not sleep? Like yeah, I don't sleep that much, man. I <laughs> sleep weird hours. I sleep like a couple hours, and like I'll take a I'll go to I'll t I'll take a nap uh, in the daytime, and then I'll take a nap at night. But I'm up. Wow. A lot of coffee. Um, yeah. Cool. So, uh, Maybe I'll start start that, <laughs> that cycle. I don't. I don't. I mean, uh, you know, I, somebody asked me the other day, like, if I had a hobby, and I was like, man, I get to play. In tenderizer, and I get to go, you know, like your whole life is. I get to do stuff. I get <laughs> yeah. to hang out with my friends and talk about music, like today. And I just, uh, man, I don't need a hobby. I just, <laughs> yeah. What would that be? Like, yeah, what, do you, what, what are they expecting? Like puzzles oh, well, or I something? Love, <laughs> I love uh, crochet. Yeah, really, crochet. Really. Yeah. <laughs> I got a, I got a lot of projects. Um, yeah, and uh, I don't know. They're all. I they they should all be fun. You know, we're yeah. fortunate to. Uh, any artists or musicians who, I mean, not uh, whether you're doing it professionally or, or not, I mean, just the the opportunity to do that whenever you can is is fun, you know. It should always be fun, and um, I think I think sometimes uh, one encounters musicians or, or artists who take themselves a little too seriously too, and and yeah, you should you should take what your work seriously, but uh, you know, everybody's very fortunate to be able to do this stuff, and yeah. Uh, and uh, if there's an opportunity to teach others to do it too, I mean, uh, going into that with um, 
with respect and uh, an idea that you're all, always learning also. I mean, it's um, before you know it, you don't have any time. <laughs> yeah, that's great, though. I like, I like that, that attitude, just like a little bit of humility and, and just joy, you know, just like, yeah, this is great. We're yeah. Doing something cool. So. Yeah, we could be digging ditches or something. We could be doing something else, you know, that, um, you know, but yeah, it's, it does require a lot of hard work, too, to be able to, to do this. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Well, um, it's silly on the on the uh, idea of silly and joy. Um, I have everyone, every guest, say, uh, uh, "Stay gold, pony boy." At the end, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, stay gold, stay gold, pony boy. <laughs> and uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks, Raven. <laughs> <laughs>